you have a bulletin with you, you already know that we'll be turning to John chapter 1. We'll be reading from verses 35 through 51 uh, this morning. I think it is important uh, to set sort of a context whenever we uh, preach a sermon that has uh, one sermon, so to speak. We need to understand that John, as he's writing uh, to us, is recording uh, the Lord Jesus Christ was from eternity past. Those of you who are familiar with the Scriptures will recognize how that in John chapter 1, John begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John continues to flesh out uh, that Christ came from eternity. And then you have the testimony of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist uh, is asked, who are you? Verse 20, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And there's this interchange then of uh, who he is and what he is to do. And uh, John is, the Apostle John then, is wanting us to know in quick succession how things are occurring in Christendom. And you see there's an emphasis on the next day. You've got that phrase in verse 29 of chapter 1. Uh, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see the next, that same phrase show up in verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And then in 43, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. So with a little bit of context, uh, The emphasis, of course, is to uh, highlight the Lamb of God and how we're to live in light of the fact that the Lamb of God has come. Let's read then God's Word uh, from verse 35 through 51. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John? You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. 
Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite in, indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him before Philip called you, When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord abides forever. Amen? Amen. Our Father, would you then take this ever-abiding word and would you open it uh, to us and for us here this morning? Uh, We wait upon you uh, as the one who feeds your people. And so we uh, pray that you will, by your Holy Spirit, work in us and through us this morning and indeed that we may know that we have met with the living God. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. I smile sometimes when I listen to those in the news media when they complain about people uh, having an agenda as if they can say people should have no agenda. Well, let me break it to you. John has an agenda. I want you to turn first as we begin this morning to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, which really sets the stage of the whole book of John. John chapter 20, and I'll read uh, two verses, verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the Apostle John has an agenda, and the agenda is that there are two things that he has in mind under the Holy Spirit's direction for the people of God. First, that you may believe, and we could even translate it, that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and secondly, that by believing you may have life in his name. So if I may put it this way, John's agenda then, under the Holy Spirit's direction, is twofold. 
everything that he writes, broad brushstroke, of course, in the book of John, has those twofold purposes. One, that we might believe that Jesus Christ is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing we might have life in his name. So then as we turn back to John chapter 1 and we uh, begin to consider from verses uh, 35 through 51, you can probably understand why I would say to us here this morning that the objects, the, uh, the obvious subject would be evangelism. If I came to each one of you and asked you, how do you do evangelism or what is evangelism, I suspect there would be a whole number of answers here this morning. They would probably range from, I don't do evangelism, or I have a method to my evangelism, and the way that I do evangelism, I can guarantee you certain results. Well, let's allow John, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, to give us some insight here this morning on how disciples came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I put it to us this way because we confess as Reformed Christians that our only rule of faith and practice is the Word of God. And that the Word of God gives us direction and how we're to view evangelism, how we're to view how people come uh, to faith in Christ, it's really an instruction manual for us, especially here in our passage, to see how people become Christians and how we might be used in the lives of individuals coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Here's the first thing that I do want to call our attention to, and that is that God gives us a mandate of proclamation. He gives us a mandate of proclamation. So I'm really pulling this from John the Baptist, who twice before this, and even in the passage that we are uh, speaking of, is behold the Lamb of God. So you see, beholding the Lamb of God is to take charge or to, to, to accept and to receive that there's a basic need for all of humanity and that God has seen fit to answer that very need. So when John in a couple of chapters says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that we understand that it's the love of God, it is God's love who has sent the Lamb of God into the world. So when John is proclaiming, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, we are understanding that John understands the, John the Baptist understands the whole dilemma of all of mankind. 
It might even be shorthand for more that he said. But I'm making the point to us here this morning that we have a mandate of proclamation that is in line with the Word of God. So when we see in verse 36, behold the Lamb of God, we see in 37 that two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Those are extremely important words. And they followed Jesus. Just like that, they understood. And I would suggest to us it's because of the proclamation of John the Baptist that when they hear these words, Behold the Lamb of God, there's our answer. There's our answer for our sin. There's our answer for our deliverance. There's our answer for my burdened conscience. There's our answer for all that's been plaguing me. And they followed Jesus. I mean, that's all that's written there. And they followed Jesus. Well, before we move on in the text, are we following Jesus for that very reason? Are we following Jesus for that very reason? Because we understand that apart from Him, we have absolutely nothing. Apart from Him, we have no deliverance. Apart from Him, everything remains bleak. Everything remains dark. You see, behold, the Lamb of God is the answer for us and for all of humanity. Then... These disciples, as you can see in the text, are following Jesus, and Jesus sees them in verse 38, and Jesus turns and sees them following him, and he says to them, what are you seeking? And they said, where are you staying? And he said, come, and you will see. May I point out to us the receptivity of Jesus We should see the humility, the graciousness of Jesus. He doesn't say to disciples who have just moments before began to follow Jesus, you don't, you don't, you don't belong here. You got, you got to grow up a ways. Now, now, now is not the time. No. No, I would call it the receptivity of Jesus. He says to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. I guess we can presume that they stayed with him that night. What we don't know is what did they talk about. It's not in the text. We can't conjecture. We can't say. 
But let's just say that Jesus receives the very youngest of disciples and is willing to spend time with them. It's very important in our evangelism. And we should encourage those who even show some signs of following Jesus, the very smallest of signs, and to bring them to Jesus, to show them where Jesus dwells, and to have Jesus teach them. So, when we look further uh, at the text, verse 40, we, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And of course, you see that Jesus renames him So may I, before we move on in the text, make a couple applications regarding evangelism and how we present to the world. The first is this. We have no idea what God will use in our words to individuals who are apart from Christ. It may be as simple as saying, follow Jesus. These individuals follow Jesus at a moment's notice, it appears. And just like that, they're going out and they're bringing others. And they're saying, we have found him. And I know that as Christians, we go up and down in our emotions. We go up and down in our um, experiences of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is valid to say that our hearts ought to bleed for humanity. But if God has purchased us through the Lord Jesus Christ, how willing we ought to be able to go to people and say, we have found the Christ. We have found the answer. If there's something that can be said of just the world at large, but we know it's especially true in our own country, the darkness that seems to be coming to a much greater extent in our own land. We need to be lights in this dark world. And however we say it, when we hold to the fact that God Himself has sent His only Son, the Lamb of God, the Lamb that belongs to God, how willing we ought to be to speak of Jesus to others. Not of our experiences. It's really easy to make a God of our experiences. Oh, you, 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 don't, you don't know how God dealt with me. Let, me. let me tell you about my experience. It's true that when God works in every one of our hearts, we, we 
experience God. We know what it is to meet with the living God. Well, let's make sure that we are not making a God out of our experience, but that the reason for our speaking and coming to individuals has at its root the Lord Jesus, the Lamb, the one who's made the payment for sin and the one who can justify before his Father. As we move on uh, in the text, uh, notice the words that John uses in 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Well, Galilee is not the most friendly place to go and bring the gospel. Jesus is going to an area where most of his work actually is going to be done. These are very important words. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. It's the area that's despised by Judean Jews. It's not a popular area. It's probably an area where you would least expect that Jesus would work. Work there? Really? I believe the application to you and to me would be don't ever underestimate where it is that Jesus is going to work. I've written in my notes here that Jesus shows up in the most unlikely of places. And if we think that he only works in those respectable places, we've we've got it all wrong. We don't have a corner on God. God is completely sovereign. He works when, where, and however he wills. I'll give you a couple examples out of the scriptures. You have Naaman the Syrian, the captain of the army, and he comes down with leprosy. What do we have? We have a little girl, a servant girl that was taken captive in the house And she says, you know, you really ought to go see Elisha. God shows up in the house of Naaman through a little servant girl. It's generally thought that she was under 12 years old. And God shows up in the house of Naaman through the servant girl, the place where you would least expect God to work. Now you have King Manasseh. King Manasseh was something else. That's what he thought of himself. I'm really somebody. And as much as he was rebuked for his sin, it made absolutely no difference. The Syrian army captures him. He's brought to prison in Babylon. He's kept in chains and hooks. Can I put it to us this way? That's where God shows up. And God humbles him. And God brings him to himself. And he's a new man. 
Now you got Matthew in the New Testament. Matthew's sitting as a tax collector, the despised ones of the day, the IRS agents of the day, so to speak. Jesus meets him and simply says to him, follow me. That's all that's recorded. Follow me. First of all, how unlikely Jesus should come to a tax collector And how unlikely would it be that the despised one of the day, Jesus should simply say, follow me. And he does. Jesus shows up in the places that you least expect him. Then you have a crowd of people who are around Jesus, and they are going down the street. And Jesus stops at the base of a tree and he looks up and he says, uh, Zacchaeus, come down today. I must abide at your house. Jesus shows up in the most unlikely of places. You see, our Lord says himself, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners to repentance. Those that are whole do not need a physician. How many times don't we read of individuals who have come to their lowest point and somehow God shows up? Might even be one of your testimonies. Only recently, Marilyn Let me know about Jan Karen, the author. Never knew this about her. She came to her lowest point, and God showed up and changed her heart. Some of you will know the name of Charles Colson. Those of us who are older would certainly remember Charles Colson, a henchman for President Nixon. And he's put in prison because of Watergate. And the Lord deals with him in prison and makes him a new creature. You just never know where Jesus is going to show up. So here's what I I, I feel like I need to say, and that is I'm not suggesting that everyone has an identical hair-raising conversion experience. I'm not saying that at all. And I want to make sure that we don't make a conversion experience the standard by which we judge other individuals. Because if there's anything that we see in our passage here before us, it is that the Lord Jesus calls people to himself with simple words. John the Baptist's ministry is blessed by saying, Behold the Lamb of God. Five words. And people come to faith in the Lamb of God. You may be here this morning and you may be thinking to yourself, 
you don't know me. I'm the most undeserving of God. You may be here this morning. You know that you're not in Christ yourself. You may be here this morning and you may be longing to know forgiveness. You may be thinking to yourself, if anybody ever knew what I was like, you wouldn't be saying these words to me. Oh, yes, I do. Jesus says, come to me. John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God. Well, I can see why other people could become Christians, but I could never. No, it's beyond me. I've done too much. You don't know. You're exactly the person that Jesus is looking for. He didn't come to call the righteous. He just says, follow me. So lest we should say, it's not for me, let us say, it is for me. I will follow Jesus, or at the very least, I will follow him more faithfully. And I'll bring the message, behold the Lamb of God. Now, there's another reason why I'm emphasizing portions of our text. I'm certainly not covering all of it. But I want to give you every word of encouragement for those of you who have a burden for the lost. You know, it's impossible to be a Christian without having a burden for the lost. Because once you've been found, you want other people to be found as well. So I want to give you every single word of encouragement right out of this passage, and that is when you ask the question, how can God work here? We can see right here that God can work when and where he wills. And he does it sometimes with only a word or two or three. That's all he needs. So if you're here uh, thinking to yourself, I don't have all the answers. I don't have a speech ready. I don't have a system by which I evangelize. It's all okay. Look at how God works. Look at how the testimony is in God's own word. This is how I work. So don't fall into being completely tongue-tied and say nothing because you don't have a whole speech ready for Jesus. And realize that when you say something, if Jesus is in it, however your words, however few your words are, Jesus works. There's more in the t- there's more in the text here, and that is, I would call it a, a universal invitation. Because you see how that uh, Jesus finds Philip and he says to him, follow me. 
Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, and Philip finds Nathanael. And you see this progression that keeps on going. And Nathanael asks that question, and we're really, we're really not sure. Is it sarcasm? Is it prejudice? We're, we're not sure, but, you know, Nathaniel has got an, an answer that is kind of odd. Anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, what's up with Nazareth? It's not a big deal. Nazareth? Come on. It's like, well, maybe can anything good come out of Fort Mill? Can anything out of Rock Hill? I mean, you know, this isn't Charlotte. You, you, get, the, you get the pun, I'm sure. And this got, Philip's got an answer. It's three words in our English. Come and see. Come and see. So from the scriptures here, we're seeing that there's very little that's required if Jesus is in it for people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so he refers to the Old Testament. Uh, He says, we found him of whom Moses and the law and all the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He's trying to give him this speech. Nathaniel doesn't doesn't say anything. So he's just ending up with these words, come and see. And sometimes that's what happens in evangelism. That's what happens when we speak to someone and nothing seems to happen. But we need to remember, dear ones, that being born again is the work of the Spirit. And that when God says it's not by might nor by power, but by His Spirit, that's what He means. And that how God uses us is totally up to Him. And it's very similar, actually, how things are done even in the normal order of events in procreation. That the seed is deposited unbeknownst to man and bears fruit in God's own time. So I want to make sure that we're not discouraged when we look and see the world in its darkness, what can I do? This is what we can do. Come and see. It's the very least, can I say it this way, it's the very least we can do, and it expresses confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember the story that John MacArthur taught or told, and there was a man that came to him, and he was a skeptic. He was obviously not a Christian, had basically no understanding of the gospel, and John MacArthur just simply said to him, I'm going to give you an assignment, and you're going to read the book of Romans, the letter to the Romans. I want you to read it for 30 days, and when you're done, come and see me. 30 days later, he came. He'd been born again. What John MacArthur had done is what I am saying our text teaches us to do today. Come and see. Come and see. 
So when Nicodemus, not Nicodemus, when Nathaniel asked that question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, we could draw from that, well, if people are faced with the gospel, we should not be afraid of questions. Go ahead and let them ask questions. We may not have all the answers, and it's okay. Our confidence is to be built on what God has taught us, what the Bible teaches, that we recognize that we bring people to Jesus through the Word, however small our efforts might be. Paul even wrote it when he said to the Corinthians, he said, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached. Whether we do it on one-on-one evangelism, whether we do it in a group of individuals studying the Bible, whether we are here in the worship service, we are called to proclaim Jesus through the Word. This is what it is, through the Word. Well, I only want to highlight another thing or two here in our text as time flees away, and that is don't miss the fact that Jesus knows us before we know Him. Isn't that what Jesus is pointing out? Nathaniel says to Jesus, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. We don't know what was happening under the fig tree. We don't know whether that's really an expression of just hiding from the heat, from the sun, whether he was there meditating, whether this indicates a family setting, whether he's just at home. We have no idea. So let's not read into the text. But let's read and understand what Jesus tells us. I saw you before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree. I saw you. So whenever we speak to individuals, we take comfort in the truth that he sees ahead of time and he knows ahead of time before we come, before words are owned by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I would like to close with one story about the Word of God as I know of a woman who was invited by a friend to come and see. And she, wanted, she said, I want you to hear my pastor preach. And the woman actually had little hope that her friend would be converted since her pastor was preaching through Second Chronicles. The most interesting book in all Scripture, right? So she called the pastor and said, I really do want you to preach evangelistically. Well, he preached his sermon and there wasn't an evangelistic word in it. And she thought, oh boy, my friend will never return. That Saturday, she calls her, fr- her friend calls her and says, can I come to church again? She thought, well, I guess. And she came. And she came, and she came. Six weeks went by, and the Lord turned her heart through Second Chronicles. 
What's behind that? Jesus said to Nathanael, I saw you under the fig tree. He knew that this woman was a history major. And she was so intrigued by biblical history, she said the God of the Bible wrote the history. And she came to faith in this way. And he prepared the road to her heart by paving it with a love for history. By a friend who said, come and see. So my friends, I want to give us every word of encouragement that we bring the gospel, however small, however great, whatever situations we find ourselves in, and recognize that when Jesus begins a work, he never fails to continue it. Do you see it there in the text? Jesus, verse 50, Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So Jesus is giving to Nathanael and to us every assurance Once he begins, he continues his work. And he says, you will see greater things than these. It's his work. He'll complete it in his own time, in his own way. And he does it for his glory. What message do we have for a lost world? Come and see.